Well, good morning. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. In 1989, a man named David Redding got way more than he bargained for when he purchased a $4 painting. You see, Mr. Redding loved to shop for a deal. So he lived in Pennsylvania, so he'd go to different antique malls and flea markets. And he's just trying to find different things. And he found a picture frame that he really loved. Wasn't too keen on the picture, but he loved this picture frame. So he bought it for $4. Well, he brought it back home. And he's trying to get this old, dingy picture out of the picture frame. Well, he ends up breaking the frame. He's frustrated with himself. He's like, okay, man. And he's about to throw this thing away. But he notices there's something behind the picture. So there's this envelope. It's piqued his interest. So he gets to the envelope. And in the envelope is one of the copies of the Declaration of Independence. And this isn't like a, a modern copy. No, this was a copy that was written in the 1700s. There's 24 known in existence. Man, he is elated. He's beside himself. He is super, just, just, just giddy and just has so much happiness and joy, right? He holds on to this copy for a while. And he says, you know what? I'm going to cash in on this. He sells it at auction for $2.4 million. This $4 painting was quite the payday. You know, things didn't go as planned for David Redding. You know, everyone in this room makes plans. I make plans, you make plans. And sometimes we're pleasantly surprised with our plans, right? Sometimes things go pretty normally. We'll make a plan and the day will progress as we thought it would. You know, sometimes plans go sideways on us. You and I both know of men and women who have saved, who have invested, who have big plans for retirement. And then unfortunately, at the end of their life, one spouse passes away unexpectedly. So as Christians, how do we think about plans? Should we make plans? How do we think about these different things and how do we make decisions? Well, the Lord in His kindness gives us a blueprint for making decisions and making plans. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. The thesis of this passage, the big idea for this passage, is simply this. Honor the Lord in how you plan. The big idea is honor the Lord in how you plan. Well, Dan, how do do we do that? Let's read the passage, let's pray, and dive in. James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you that we are able to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ. God, thank you that we have this facility to gather as your church. Lord, I pray that you would work mightily through us. Lord, we know that you are here with us, but we do not presume on your mercy. God, be gracious to us. Speak to us through your word. Work in our lives. God, may we be students of your word and may may we be obedient to it. May we be transformed more and more into the image of Christ and may Christ, may, may he be more beautiful and believable as we stand in awe and wonder of your good word. Guide us this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So in this passage, we see three statements that help us navigate planning in a way that's God-honoring. So in verses 13, 14, and 16, we see plans devoid of God are wicked. Plans devoid of God are wicked. So before we navigate the types of plans that are wicked, we first have to understand the original audience, okay? So in the first half of verse 13, we see those who are planning. Let's reread it briefly. Come now, you who say. Well, who is James addressing? James is addressing the persecuted, dispersed church, Jewish believers. And so throughout this letter, first he's encouraging the church who's facing trials. He's also dealing with theological issues. And now in this specific passage, in this chapter, he's having some hard conversations. In chapter 4, he says, hey, there's some quarreling. I'm hearing of some infighting that's coming on, that's, that's happening. Humble yourself. And there, there's some, also some reports of people not being gracious to one another. And so he's dealing with that. And now he's dealing with an equally serious issue. When he uses the phrase, come now, it's reminiscent of like an Old Testament prophet. The tone he's trying to convey is something very stern and very serious. So like in the Deep South, they would call this a come to Jesus meeting. And they blur it all together. Come to Jesus meeting. So what's going on? Well, it's something that's happening a lot. It's a very common thing. The verb for say comes with it the idea of something that's happening abundantly and a lot of people are doing it continually. Okay, you got our attention, James. What on earth is going on? What is, what's happening that's, that's causing this much seriousness and sternness? What are they doing? The people are making plans. Okay, what, what type of plans are they making? So in the second half of verse 13, we see the plans that give rise to warning. Let's reread that verse. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Honestly, that that plan seems pretty innocent, right? So there's like a specific start date, today or tomorrow. There's just a a generally specific location. We're going to go to such and such a town. There's a specific duration. We're going to go there for a year. And then there's a specific goal. You're going to trade and you're going to make money. Can we be honest? Like, what's the big deal? You know? Like, this is something you'd hear on the Dave Ramsey show. 
You know? Like, this is, this is something that you would hear from a mentor. This is something that you would read. This is some advice that you would get. This is something you'd hear about in a podcast. This, this is like the basic um, skeleton for, like, a side hustle. So, so what's, what's going on? Why is this treated with so much um, seriousness? We have to recognize that someone is completely forgotten in this plan. Who is completely forgotten in this plan? There's no mention of the Lord anywhere. And we're going to get deeper into that. But before we do that, James further exposes this line of faulty thinking in verse 14. Let's reread it together. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We as a culture love to think about the future. I have um, some in-laws who live in Michigan. I have friends who live in Michigan. And we have a Super Bowl coming up here in a few weeks, right? I've, I've heard about it. It's, you know, the Lions actually may be a contender for the Super Bowl. So people love to speculate and make plans. We're in an election cycle. If you turn the TV on for maybe like 30 seconds, you're going to hear about somebody who thinks that they know the future. We as a culture love to tell stories about controlling the future or or changing events to to have a certain outcome, right? We love those movies. You think about it. Marty McFly got into the DeLorean and saved his, his mom and dad's marriage just in the nick of time, right? Hundreds of years ago, a guy named H.G. Wells wrote a story about a time traveler who traveled thousands of years into the future and saw how the world ends. And just a few years ago, the greatest blockbuster was Iron Man building a time machine to defeat Thanos. Right? As a culture, we love to think about the future. We want to master it. We want to control it. Here's what Jesus says about those types of thoughts in a parable. In Luke 12, starting in verse 16, Jesus says this, And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We'd love to plan for the future. We'd love to control the future. But here's the reality, church. The very breath that we anticipate taking is on loan to us from the Lord. We don't know what the next moment may hold. We don't know what the weather will look like. We have no idea what the future may bring. But not only that, James tells us our lives are short. Our lives are but a mist. This word can also be translated as breath. So our lives are just but a moment. So a couple years ago, Melissa and I 
saw a Amazon Prime deal. And we, we got these smart doorbells. You guys have smart doorbells? They're pretty handy. You can, you can see when an Amazon package is coming. We have an open lot behind our house, and so we see deer that walk through. It's kind of like Mutual of Omaha's animal kingdom behind our yard. It's great. And so we have, the, we have these smart doorbells in the front and the backyard. Well, in our front yard, we have a lot of mature trees. It's great in the summertime. We get shade, but they cast such a big shadow that our, our doorbell recognizes that as movement. And so we have this, these giant shade trees that, that change throughout the day. And so I was, uh, back in the summer, I was going through my notifications at the end of the day, and I saw this time-elapsed video of the shade. So in the morning, there's the early morning shade, and then there's the midday, and then there's the high noon shade, and it was sweltering. There really wasn't any shade. And then the afternoon and the evening it was this elapsed video of the day of my front yard in like 20 seconds. I remember that was particularly striking because I thought to myself, Dan, that day, that day is gone. That day is gone like, like that. Dan, what, what did you do with that day? Yeah, you went to, to work. You came home, ate dinner, helped with the kids. Man, how are we using that day? We don't get a practice lap in life. We don't get to try again. Time is but a moment. Time is short. So up until this point when we're thinking about plans and discerning plans, right? These types of common sense plans really could be categorized as unwise. You know, like they're they're unwise. So, So why is James being so serious and stern in this admonition. Well, James takes it a step further and explains. In verse 16, we see worldly plan-making is sinful. Worldly plan-making is sinful. Let's read verse 16 together. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. You know, John MacArthur's commentary on this verse is really helpful in trying to understand what's going on here. So to boast is to talk loudly about something. Or, you know, you can boast in a positive sense. You can boast in Christ. Here in this verse, it's a very negative sense. You're speaking loudly about something. Arrogance here is wondering about and pretending to be somebody or to know something that you absolutely don't know. So, what can we think about? What's the idea being conveyed? We're almost like this old west snake oil salesman, right? A guy who comes in on a wagon and says, this will cure everything. And he sells this, this false cure-all and then just rolls on to the next town. Church, when we make plans devoid of God, we're charlatans. We're liars and we are lying to ourselves. See, what's happening when we're a Christian, we have rightly said Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. But in making plans devoid of God, what we're doing is saying, you know what? I want to sit on that throne again. 
I want to get back on that throne. You know what? I want to make announcements and pronouncements for my own life. I want to say, I want to do this. I want to live here. I want to buy this. I want my children to do this. And we make all these different pronounces and we, we raise our own little royal scepter and we try to make our own little kingdom here on earth. Well, here's the issue with that. We are literally emulating the devil. Look at the second half of verse 16. All such boasting is evil. The word evil is also the title used for Satan. We are literally imitating Satan when we try to set up our own kingdoms here on earth. When we make decisions devoid of God. So the question on the table this morning is, well, how do we make decisions? How do we plan? Is God telling us we shouldn't, we shouldn't make businesses? That we shouldn't make plans? Like, what's the thought being here? What's the thought being conveyed here? No, we should make plans. We should make decisions. We should do these things. But the Lord in his kindness gives us a path to navigate the future. In verse 15, we see plans that recognize the rule and reign of the Lord are the blueprint for the Christian life. Plans that recognize the rule and reign of the Lord are the blueprint for the Christian. Let's reread verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So in planning God's way, we must first redeem a trite little saying and transform it into a God-honoring attitude. So remember, James is talking to an ancient people. And it was probably, I mean, most of the popular culture probably believed in different gods, right? If you've seen a a movie about ancient Greece or ancient Egypt, they've probably said, you know, if the god of this is with us, then we'll have a a good harvest. Or if the god of this is with us, we'll we'll travel safely. You've probably heard that or, or read that in some sort of, dramatized historical fiction. And, and what, James, James is, what James is telling us is, you know what? We're not making plans and then rubber stamping God on top of it. No. We're, we're not just trying to say, okay, God, you can just give, you know, give your seal of approval on my plan. No. What, what he's telling us and what he's calling us to do is reorient our minds. Reorient our perspective. And surrender the will of the Lord. So how do we do that? First, we recognize the supremacy of God. The Greek word means supreme. It comes from the noun. Lord here means supreme. So God is the master. God owns all things. God has the final decision. You know, let's compare and contrast when we set up our own little kingdoms and try to make our own plans versus the plans of the Lord. We only have one perspective. I can only see the world through my perspective. God knows all things. He's omniscient. Not only that, he is omniperspectival. What does that mean? Well, I can see a rain cloud and I can see rain from my perspective. But God knows my perspective. He knows your perspective. He knows how the clouds are being formed. He knows the birds flying through the rain. 
He knows how the rain is affecting the worms and the dirt. He knows every single possible perspective. You know, we experience time linearly, right? We grab onto a rope and we're just kind of pulling ourselves through time. We can experience life here in the present. We kind of learn from the past and we hope for the future. This is going to make our brains hurt. God exists outside of time. God was there before everything began. God will be there when time ends. And we kind of experience time linearly. And don't push too hard on this example. But the Lord sees time as this beautiful tapestry. He sees the whole universe. And so he sees and he knows the creation narrative. He sees and knows this very moment. And he sees and knows the new heavens and the new earth. So the beautiful reality is it is right and it is good for us to submit to a supreme God. So in recognizing his supremacy, we live in a way that honors God. In Romans 12.1, the Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So how do we honor God? We, we simply lay down our lives on the altar and we say, Lord, I'm living my life just for you. God, in light of Jesus, in light of his death, in light of his resurrection, God, work through me. Use me. Help me to serve you faithfully. Let me not run ahead and try to build my own kingdom. God, let me bring you glory. So how do we practically do that? Let's just get very, very practical because it's easy to think theoretically and think in these generally broad terms, right? So how do we get like super practical in living in a way that honors the Lord. In this passage, it brings up the idea of God's will. Okay, so growing up, that was a mildly terrifying thing. Because it wasn't necessarily taught specifically this way, but this is kind of how it felt. That there was this secret mystical plan, right? And if you prayed the right prayers, and if you thumbed through Scripture, and, and you landed on the right verse you would find the key to unlocking the secret plan. And you were able to, to, to go into this perfect path of life. Can we just debunk that right now? God is not wringing his hands and saying, oh man, I hope at 15 years old he chooses Burger King and not McDonald's. <laughs> right? God is not stressed about that. You are not living plan B. God reigns supreme. So at the very least, just rest in that. So how do we make decisions? What are some practical helps in navigating decision-making? Here are three questions that I hope are an encouragement and help to you in living a way that honors the Lord and making plans that honor the Lord. First, the question we can ask ourselves is this. Are there any biblical commands or principles I need to obey? Church, God's will for us is to obey God's word. So what has God told you to do in here? Do it. That's it. If you're wondering what God's will is for your life, read the word. Obey the word. It's that simple. Let us be students of the word and let us faithfully and obediently live it out. 
And I've heard that before, and you've probably heard that before. And you're like, okay, that's helpful. But there's some other decisions I need to make that are a little more nuanced, right? We have to find a place to rent or a place to, to buy. We have to buy a house. We have to buy cars. We have to figure out what we're going to do with our lives. We have to figure out who we're going to marry. We have all these different decisions that are before us, and we don't necessarily have a verse, okay? So here's another question that I want us to consider. Is there wisdom I need to consider? Is there wisdom I need to consider? Church, God has made you with a specific personality. God's made you with a specific personality. He's given you specific talents. He's given you specific uh, personality traits. And if you're saved, the Lord dwells you through his spirit and has given you spiritual gifts. So in thinking through wisdom, here's, here's kind of another qualifying question. Is the decision I'm about to make creating barriers for myself or giving me opportunities to use my personality, my talents, and my spiritual gifts for the glory of God in the local church. Now that's a lot. Let me say it again. It's the decision I'm about to make. Creating barriers are opportunities for me to use my personality, my talents, and my spiritual gifts for the glory of God in the local church. In a way to kind of process data, another helpful test is the SWOT test. S-W-O-T. You can think of it as a grid. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. So thinking through, is there, is there wisdom I need to consider? And finally, a question we should ask is, are there questions I need to ask myself? Ask yourself, why? Sometimes this answer is simple. Sometimes this question unearths sinful desires and motives. So what we're going to do is we're going to grid these questions over a decision that we may have to make. Buying a house. Okay, let's go with buying a house. So you've saved up your down payment. You've gotten approved for your mortgage. And so now you're driving around Chillicothe with a realtor. You found three houses. Okay, how are we going to make decisions? First, is there biblical commands or principles I need to obey? The Bible tells us not to be mastered by anything. So is this house going to eat your lunch? Are you buying too much house? Are you going to be enslaved to this mortgage? Probably not wise. Is there wisdom that I need to consider? Right? Is this commute going to just absolutely destroy our family? Like, are we going to be worn out coming to and from this house? Or is this house a real fixer-upper? Like, we are just going to spend every weekend, every waking moment, trying to get this thing up to date. That's the case. It's probably not wise. There's also... A question you should probably ask yourself is, why? Why do I want to buy this house? Why do, I, why do I need to buy this house? Sometimes the answer is as simple as, I need a place to live. Sometimes there's something deeper there. And so may the Lord work in you as you process these things. So in the Old Testament... You know, uh, the worship team is, is doing a two-year Bible reading plan. So we're finishing up uh, Genesis, and in February we're getting into Exodus. And so in Exodus we see the nation of Israel is being led out of slavery. And towards the end of the book we, we see that the Lord literally leads them with a pillar of fire. And wouldn't that be nice? 
Like, let's just be real. Well, that would be really nice if you're like, should I take this job or this job? And you wake up one morning, and you open your front door, and there's a pillar of fire. And you just follow, right? And it's like, oh, that, that's the one. <laughs> that would be great. That would be easy. But in discerning these things and making decisions, here's what Jesus says in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Church, listen. The Holy Spirit in you is better than a pillar of fire for you to follow. The Holy Spirit in you is a better is better than a pillar of fire for you to follow. Jesus says the Holy Spirit working in us is better than his own physical presence with his people. Man, can we trust that? Do we actually live like that? Man, may it not be said of us that you know, so, so often we crave this supernatural or this mystical, right? This, this, God, just write it in the sky. We don't need it. We don't need God to write something in the sky. We have his good and faithful presence with us. And we, we want to see these signs and miracles and all these different things. Man, if, I could, if we could just see that, we could believe the Holy Spirit is enough. What would our prayer life look like if we truly believed that the Lord who walks with us is better than a pillar of fire in front of us? And do we, do we believe? I think that we would have such a peace that surpasses understanding. Even in the midst of the craziness, in the midst of all the nuts things going on, we could say, you know what, God, you are good, and you are kind, and you are faithful. You are the Lord who reigns over me, but you're also the shepherd that walks beside me. God, thank you. So church, pray. Seek the Lord. The Holy Spirit is so kind. The Holy Spirit is so faithful to us. And I'm always reticent to give practical advice about decision-making because sometimes those who struggle with decision-making get paralysis by analysis, right? They, they consume so much data that they're like, oh boy, I don't know what I should do. And then they just don't make a decision. Church, here's the thing. Seek the Lord. Read the Bible. Seek wisdom, seek godly wisdom, gain perspective. And if there's no sin, church, just make a decision. Move forward. And, and sometimes I think we're, we're terrified that we're going to miss out on something. It's like, oh man, what if I, I should have done this. If I'd done this, my life, no. The God who, he who began a good work with you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God's not working on plan B. You're not this messed up person who's just so far gone or so far down the road that you can't be helped. No, the Lord walks with you. And can we, so often we, we just tell ourselves, man, we're just this wretched, just rebellious, evil people. And that is right and good. Apart from Christ, we are wretched, rebellious 
sinners. But can we also trust in the fact that we are children of God? That we're redeemed, that we have a hope, that we have a future. It's okay for us to have joy. It's okay for us to have happiness. It's okay to have, for us to have peace in this life. Can we just rest in that? Man, let's just rest. You know, so often we just struggle and, and lament over these decisions. Just trust the Lord. Follow after the Lord. He will keep you. So trust in His goodness, trust in His kindness. The Holy Spirit in you is better than a pillar of fire leading you. This passage ends with a simple command. You know what to do, so do it. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So in this passage, we see the clearest definition of the sin of omission. So generally, when we think about sins, we think of an activity that is in direct rebellion to God. Lying, cheating, stealing, all these different things. You you can clearly see, hey, those are sins. But James addresses the sin of omission. It's saying, I know the right thing to do, but I'm going to do something opposite. And the opposite thing that you're doing may look completely fine on the outside. Jonah is the perfect example of this. Jonah knew he was supposed to preach to the people of Nineveh. He did something completely different. He went and got onto a boat. And if you were just looking at Jonah and you were like, okay, I mean, he's just sailing. You wouldn't think anything of his decisions. You wouldn't think that he's an open rebellion to God, right? So it is with us. James gives us a lot of commands. He gives us a lot of straightforward commands in this passage. Humble yourselves. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Give grace to one another. Make plans in a way that honor the Lord. Right? He gives us all these different commands. And he may just be saying, all right, you know what to do? Go. It's like we're breaking from a huddle, right? But I think also he put... Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I think James wrote this for a specific reason. You know, he's telling the church, you know what? Go ahead. Go to such and such a town. Make plans. Live your life. Live with happiness. Live with joy. Live with success. Start that business. But here's the thing. I don't know your motives. So guard your heart. Right? Like, I could start a business. I could say, you know what? I'm going to sell coffee here. We can go and I'm going to start a coffee house. I'm going to sell a great product. I'm going to provide exceptional customer service. I'm going to treat my employees well. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I can develop this whole business plan. And I could do this for the glory of God. Or I could do this because I want to build my own kingdom. I want to look and start a franchise. I want to build my own empire. I want to build my ego. And the tough thing is, unless you're super close to me, you will have no idea. I could be making this coffee shop for the glory of God. I could be making this coffee shop for the glory of myself. So, James is warning the church, guys, I can't police this. Your brothers and sisters in Christ can't police this. But you know in your heart of hearts and the Lord sees you and the Lord knows. 
So be at war with sin. Fight these motives in your life. Put sin to death each and every day. And guard your hearts. So where are we at this morning, church? Perhaps you're, you're making decisions and you're, you're reflecting on those decisions and you're saying, you know what? Mm, I, probably, uh, I probably need to reorient my, my priorities. Or maybe you're in the midst and you're in this fork in the road and you need to process, okay, where do I need to go? And a part of seeking wisdom is inviting godly people into the process, right? Or maybe you're just kind of trying to figure out the whole Christian life thing. Trying to figure out what a Christian is. The Bible is very clear. If you are not a Christian, here is God's plan for you. Okay? God is holy, holy, holy. That means he's perfect. He is sinless. And that is his holy standard. And we, as people, every single one of us, for all have sinned. We are sinful people. That doesn't mean we're just broken people who make mistakes. No, we are rebels. We are enemies of God on our own, just left to our own devices. And there's nothing we can do to save ourselves or make ourselves better. We can't just say of ourselves, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. No, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's nothing that we can do to earn our good standing with God. We can't walk enough little old ladies across the street. We can't attend enough church services. We can't give enough money. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. And for the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die. And we deserve the punishment of hell. So God saw our hopelessness. He came to earth fully God, fully man. His name was Jesus Though we tempted, were tempted in every way and we sinned, Jesus was tempted in every way and he never sinned. Though we deserve to die because we are sinners, Jesus died in our place. And three days later, he rose again. So if we repent, if we turn from ourselves and we confess Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life, we will be saved. And that's God's good and perfect plan. And God desires for all to be saved. So wherever we're at this morning, may we be faithful to respond to the word of God. I'm going to pray for us. Pastor Kevin will be here to process any decisions you may have. And our our team will lead us in a song of response. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for your good and perfect word. God, we thank you that you have given us a a template to make decisions. God, it's not wrong for us to make plans. It's not wrong for us to make decisions. But God, let us not run ahead and try to build our own little kingdoms. But God, help us to make decisions that glorify you. God, guide us through your spirit. And Lord, help us not just be hearers of the word, but God, let us be doers of your word. Let us rest in your promise. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.